you have your Bibles tonight, would you open them please to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. On Sunday night, we're in a sermon series looking at life's hurts. There's not one single person here tonight who has not been hurt in this journey we call life. There is going to be hurt. Some of us will have more than others. Some of them will be big, some of them will be small, some will be inconsequential, some will be very consequential. But all of us are going to have hurts. And in this series, we're addressing those hurts because I want you to know that whatever your hurt is, there is a medicine, there is a balm. And that medicine and that balm is named Jesus Christ. And there is hope for you, there is help for you, through Jesus Christ in the hurt. And tonight we're going to be looking at hope for the hurt of guilt. Healing for the hurt of guilt. Before we read 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, I remind you of what Jesus said. The Son of the living God said about the devil. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, The thief has come not except to steal and to kill and destroy. Jesus gave us the modus operandi of the devil. He has come to steal, he has come to kill, and he has come to destroy. You want to play with the devil, that's what he's going to give you. Maybe not initially, but that's what it's going to end up. He's come to steal, he's come to kill, he's come to destroy. And then Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, He said, the devil is like a roaring lion. He's on the prowl. And he's looking for someone to devour. And then the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, that this thief, that this lion, is also looking to do something else. Not just to steal, not just to kill, not just to destroy, not just to devour, but he's looking to put a stronghold in our life. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of Satan's strongholds. Now tonight I want us to begin by thinking just a little bit in military terms. Many of you have served our country and we thank God for that service of yours. You're the reason why America remains the land of the free and the home of the brave. And as I said many times, for those of you who serve in the military, those of you that are police officers or firemen or first responders, I want you to know this is a safe place for you. You are loved, you are appreciated here at Miles Road. 
But I want us to think in military terms. Satan is our avowed enemy. He is a terrorist against us. He is a foe against us. He is an enemy against us. And as our enemy, he takes no prisoners. He shows no mercy. He gives no quarter in his efforts to defeat us and to destroy us. He's constantly probing the beachheads of our life and our faith, trying to make a landing, trying to establish a beachhead from which he can build a fortress. He's constantly probing, looking for our weaknesses. He's constantly probing, looking for our carelessness. He wants to establish a place in our life, a beachhead on our life, that he can erect a, a fortress, a stronghold, if you will. And from that stronghold, he will then seek to push further inland into our lives to continue his attack of defeat and destruction against us. Now, as I look out here at you tonight, some of you have a satanic stronghold in your life. You know, you can be saved and have a satanic stronghold in your life. You can be talking and walking with the Lord to some degree and have a stronghold of Satan in your life. And some of you tonight are captives of Satan. You're casualties of Satan in this ongoing battle that I spoke of. And the stronghold that some of you are facing tonight has a name. It's called guilt. Satan has advanced into your life. He's established the beachhead. He's built a stronghold in your life from which he's continuing to defeat you. He seeks to destroy you. He wants to capture you. He wants to make you a casualty. He wants to render your life in service for Jesus totally null and void. And he's doing it to some of you tonight through the stronghold of guilt. A guilt that's unbiblical and unhealthy. A guilt that haunts you like a ghost and hurts you like a thorn. A guilt that is wrongfully condemning and terribly shameful. A guilt that focuses on your past and not on your future. A guilt that gnaws at you on the inside and stinkens your soul. Now remember, guilt always comes from sin. We're all sinners, all of us. And from our sin, Satan attacks us with the guilt. He loves to take our sins that we have committed, by the way. He loves to take them, and he loves to throw them back in our face. Once again, in doing so, he's seeking a beachhead. He's seeking to establish a fortress in our life. That he can defeat us, that he can destroy us, that he can captivate us, that he can make us casualties of, that he can render us ineffective for Jesus. You understand that? 
He loves to accuse us of sin. That our Lord is already dealt with at the cross. He's an accuser. He brings our past back against us. Is he doing that to you? Do you find yourself thinking about, feeling bad about, guilty about, a sin from yesterday that's already been taken away? A sin from the past that's already been forgiven? A sin that's already been washed and wiped and whisked away? A sin that's already been pardoned? A sin that's already been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and carried away as far as east is from west and remembered no more? Do you find yourself constantly going back to the cemetery where God buried you, the old person, and all your sins and digging it all back up? Are you struggling with guilt tonight? Guilt over sin that has already been taken care of right there. And yet Satan keeps coming back to you and filling your mind with thoughts and your heart with feelings. Speaking whisperings into your ears that you're not forgiven. And accusing you of something that's already been taken care of. One of the things that I hope you'll understand about the Old Testament is that everything in the Old Testament, every person, place, thing, and event in the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, is a picture of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Did you hear me? Let me say that again. Pay attention. Every person in the, in the Old Testament of significance every place in the Old Testament of significance, everything or event that takes place in the Old Testament of any significance is a picture, a, a preview picture, if you will, of the person and work of Jesus Christ who is coming. The Old Testament is introducing us to Jesus before He ever got here. So when he came, everybody would know who he was and what he was about to do. The Old Testament is filled with theological pictures of the person of Jesus. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about leading into this talk about guilt. In Leviticus chapter 16, we're introduced to a sacrifice. It's called the Day of Atonement. It was a sacrifice by the Jewish people that was made once a year. It was a sacrifice to cover the sins of the nation of Israel as a whole and for each of the families of Israel as individuals. So it dealt with the sin of God's nation and God's people. 
Now, in this day of atonement, in this sacrifice for sin that took place, remember, once a year, the high priest was given two goats. Two goats. The first goat was laid on an altar, tied to the altar. A goat that would become the sacrifice for the sin of the nation and the people temporarily. No animal sacrifice could ever atone for the sin of humanity permanently. This is only a temporary sacrifice to cover the nation and the people for one year. And so this goat was put on the altar, tied down, and the priest would take a sharp instrument, a knife, and he would plunge it into the goat. And he would slay the goat on the altar. And the blood of that goat would flow. And he would take some of the blood from that goat. And he went into the Holy of Holies. That was where God was at. And he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. Asking God to forgive the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, through the shed blood of the goat. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And then with that blood still on his hands, the high priest would go to the second goat that was tied to the altar. And he would wipe his bloody hands on that goat. And he would say a prayer placing the sins of the nation and the people on that goat. That goat had a name. It was called a scapegoat. There was the sacrifice goat and there was the scapegoat. And once that goat was prayed and given the sins of the nation and the people and the blood was wiped over that goat, that goat was released and ran out, if you will, of town into the wilderness where it would never be seen again. Now you say, Pastor, what does all of that mean? Glad you asked. Because remember, that's a picture, isn't it? A picture of you. Of who? Help me out. Picture of who? Jesus. A picture of who? A picture of who? Every time you read the Old Testament, you look for Jesus. He's there. The Bible's His book. And it's a picture of Jesus. You think it was coincidental and accidental when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him to be baptized in the Jordan River. John said to the people, Behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. You think that was accidental? Jesus is the permanent Lamb of God. He is the sacrificial Lamb. On a cross at Calvary, He would be attached to that altar that stood upright, an altar that was suspended between heaven and earth. On that altar, He who knew no sin would become our sin. He would shed His blood and give His life for us. Not for the temporary atonement of our sin, but for the permanent forever atonement of our sin. And then he was taken down off that cross. And he was buried. And when he was buried, 
He was buried with our sin. He was buried with our sin that it could be seen no more, remembered no more. Do you understand that? Jesus is the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement. The sacrificial lamb, he washed away our sins with his blood. He carried our sins away as the scapegoat. Wow. I like the song, One Day, Living, He Loved Me. Dying, He Saved Me. Buried, He Carried My Sins Far Away. Rising, he justified. You know what word justified means? Just as if we never sinned. Rising, he justified us freely forever. And one day he's coming. Maybe tonight. That's me. Oh, glorious day. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all iniquity. Do you understand that? All sin is washed away by the blood of Jesus when we come to the cross. All sin is carried as far away as east is from west and remembered no more when we come to the cross. The sacrificial lamb has paid for our sin. The scapegoat lamb has carried our sin far away. Why do we feel guilty when it's already covered and it's already carried away? Now, I know some of you are thinking, Pastor, I know that. I know that in my head, but I just can't shake it. Satan constantly is accusing me. I can't forget the immoral affairs I had. I can't let go of the abortion I committed. I can't deal with a divorce that took place. I can't get out of my mind the stolen money that I've taken. I can't cease to remember the hate crimes I've committed. I can't purge from my mind the abandonment of my children and grandchildren. I can't remove from my thoughts the addictions that I had. Pastor, I can't escape my past. I know it's forgiven, but I can't get away from it. It haunts me like a ghost. Well, do you understand who's behind it? Satan. You've led him into your life. You've given him a beachhead. He's erected a stronghold. He's stealing from you your joy and your peace. He's killing your spirit. He's destroying your walk with the Lord. He's defeating you. He's neutralizing you from being anything for the Lord. He's turned you into a captive of his Jesus came to set you free and you're now a prisoner again. Jesus came to give you victory and you're a casualty in a battle that you should have won, but you're not winning. 
So as I close this message, I'd like to give you very quickly some things that you and I can do if indeed we have a stronghold of guilt in our life. And many of you do. This is how we must deal with it if we're going to get rid of it. First of all, we must constantly keep in front of us this fact. Constantly, continually keeping this in our mind and in our heart, this fact, this truth. And what is it? God has forgiven you. If you have confessed your sin, that means, Lord, I did it. This is what I did. I own up to it. I'm sorry for it. I repent of it. Lord, forgive me. If you confess your sin, I confess my sin. He is faithful and just to cleanse us as the sacrificial lamb of our sin. To cleanse us of our sin. And to take away all of our iniquities. Take them away. The scapegoat. We need to understand that. We need to constantly remind ourselves he is the sacrificial lamb, but more than that, He's my sacrificial lamb. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And he's my scapegoat lamb. He was buried and he took my sins to the grave with him. When he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. And when he arose from the grave, I arose from the grave. Not the old person I used to be, but a brand new person. We need to remember that. 1 John 1.7 says all sin. Pastor, you say in my... I'm saying all sin. Pastor, you say... I said all sin. He can forgive your immorality. He can give your, forgive your idolatry. He can forgive your lies and your cheating and your stealing. He can forgive your divorce. He can forgive the abandonment of your children and grandchildren. He can forgive all sin. And he does, if you but ask. We must never forget he forgives. And when he forgives, he carries our sin far away. Constantly remember that truth and keep it before you. He has forgiven all my sin and carried all of my sin away. My sin was paid for there, and it was buried with him. Secondly, if you're going to tear down the stronghold of guilt about your past that Satan accuses you of day and night, constantly, continually, you need to forgive yourself. Colossians 3.13, the Apostle Paul says, As Christ has forgiven you, so forgive yourself. Interesting. Accept what he's done and apply it to yourself. You see, we have an amendment in our Constitution. It's called the Fifth Amendment. You know what it says? We have any constitutional scholars here tonight? Well, let me, let me kind of paraphrase what it's talking about. It's talking about the fact that you can't be charged 
twice with the same crime. Either when you are charged the first time, either you are going to be declared innocent and let go, or you're going to be declared guilty and you're going to pay the, 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 the consequence of your crime. But when you're let go, it can't be brought back against you again. Okay? Once you are declared innocent, they cannot bring that crime back against you again, that charge against you. Once you've paid for that crime, they cannot come back and charge you again and try you again and penalize you again for that same crime. In other words, you can't be put in double jeopardy. You can't pay for a crime that you've been declared innocent of ever again, and you can't pay for a crime twice that you've already paid for once. That is illegal, and it's unbiblical. Because when Jesus paid for your sin on the cross and my sin on the cross, it was paid for. It can't be brought back against us. That would be double jeopardy, and God is not going to do that. Does that make sense to you? Why do you want to charge yourself where God's not? There's no condemnation to those in Christ. There's no charges against you. Your crimes, your sins have already been paid for right there. They can't come back against you. They've already been paid for. Forgive yourself. Accept His forgiveness. He has forgiven you of all sin. And then forgive yourself. Why are you charging yourself when God isn't? Thirdly, rest in God's grace and mercy. If you confess your sin, you will receive mercy. Sounds good, don't it? That, by the way, I, I didn't make that one up. That comes from Proverbs 28, 13. If you and I will confess and turn from our sin, we will receive mercy. That's the Word of God. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. You say, Pastor, you don't know what I did in the past. How can you just say he forgives all of my sin? I can say because he has said. I'm just echoing what he already said. And his grace and mercy is there. Rest in it. Accept his forgiveness. You have been forgiven. Forgive yourself. Don't charge yourself and try yourself and penalize yourself for something that's already been taken care of. It's senseless to do that. Rest in His grace and mercy. Fourthly, give no place to the devil. Remember? That word place means don't give him a beachhead. Don't allow him to get into your life. Don't allow him to advance into your life. Don't allow him to build a stronghold in your life. Drive him away. Drive him off your beachhead. Put him back into the sea. Defeat him. 
tear his strongholds down. You say, Pastor, how do you do that? What's the weapons we use to keep him off the beachhead, to keep him from erecting the stronghold? Songs and scriptures. You know what? You know what affects the way we think? What we put in up here. You know what affects the way we feel? What we put in right here. Our, our actions and our reactions are largely from the inside out. What we've allowed to come in is what's going to come out. And if we fill our minds with songs and with the scriptures that speak of our new life in Christ, our forgiveness our cleansing, our wholeness in Him, it only reinforces the truth. Satan can't survive where there's truth. He's a liar. And when you expose his lies with the truth, he flees. He can't handle it. You've got to fill your mind and heart with songs of the faith. Scriptures of the faith. That's what the Apostle Paul did. If any man had a reason to be guilty about his past, it was him. He was a murderer. He had murdered God's people. He was out to destroy God's church. Saul of Tarsus by his own testimony that was amen by God was the chief of sinners. He put himself right up there with the greatest wicked men who have ever lived. But his life was dramatically and radically changed on the road to Damascus when he met a risen Christ. He was gloriously saved. His life was changed. Saul of Tarsus was so different that his name was even changed to Paul the Apostle. And he said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, I cannot allow my mind to remember the past. I forget it. Forgetting everything that's behind me. I'm not going to go through life looking through the rear view mirror, being accused of my past. I don't have a past. The old Paul is dead and buried. I'm a new Paul, and I've been free of all charges. Don't give the devil an opportunity to throw your past in your face. Look forward and keep moving forward. And then lastly, stay in prayer and stay in the Word. Stay in prayer. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Appeal to God. Bring God into the battle. Ask God to fill your mind and heart with the peace that passes all understanding. With the confidence that you have that I'm a new creation in Christ and the old things have passed away and all things have become new. Pray. I really believe if we would just pray, 99% of our problems would disappear. 
at least they wouldn't be a big deal. We've got a mighty weapon. Come to God and say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. Come and take it over. And then get into the Word. Know what the Word of God says, that when the devil comes against you with these accusations, you have something to say to him. He's not, he doesn't really care what we have to say, but he very much cares what the Lord has to say. The Word of God against him, because you know it, because you read it. Inviting the Lord into the battle, Bible reading and prayer. And by the way, Bible reading and prayer is to a troubled saint what good food and weight training is to an athlete. It'll make you better. In closing, I want you to know, let's just turn to a verse that I'm going to close with. Let's turn to 1 John, if we will, chapter 2. Just going to kind of close with this. little interesting tidbit, no extra charge for this. We've already passed the offering, so this is free. But 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, when 1 John was written, or any book in the Bible, that matter, was written, there was no chapters and there were no verses, okay? So when Paul was writing, or John was writing their books, they didn't say, okay, chapter 2, verse 1. That, that came later. So all of this kind of runs together. And I say that because in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, which is about two verses back, he talks about if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all iniquity. And then he comes back in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2. Now remember, there was no chapters and verses when he wrote this. And he says something very interesting, and I close with this. He says, my little children, my, my, my family, my sons and daughters of God, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. But if any man does sin, and by the way, who's he talking to now? <laughs> All of us. Okay? If any of you do sin, we have an advocate. Now notice that word advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins. And not just ours, but the sins of the whole world, whosoever will come. Now this is what He's saying. He's saying, you are cleansed of your sin. Your sins have been carried far away. 1 John 1, 9. God will cleanse us. God will carry our sins away. All of our sins. And because of that, what takes place in heaven's courtroom is this. Satan comes before God the Father and he makes an accusation to God about you and I. Because of what we have done, we've sinned. And Satan says to God the Father, listen, your word says the wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth will die. Did you see that sorry Jim Palmer? Did you hear what he said? Did you see what he did? He sinned. You need to put him to death. That's what the law says. 
But our advocate stands up. Our advocate has a name. His name is Jesus. This ought to get you excited. And he says, Father, I'm going to speak for Jim Palmer. I know him well. I paid for his sins at the cross of Calvary. I was buried with his sins. I have arose again. I have a new life. And I gave that new life to him. These are old charges that already have been dealt with. God the Father says, Bing! Case dismissed. Can't charge a man twice for what's already been covered right there. Wow. Heads are bowed and eyes.